Last week, we learned that one of the most important things for a struggling church in a fallen world to do to get back on track and move toward being built up and healthy in order to make an impact in God's kingdom in the world is to first identify and appoint godly leaders, elders who make decisions that benefit the body, build up the church, and protect her from false teachings and ungodliness. We learned that in Titus 1. That's what Paul tells Titus in this book to do. He instructs him to appoint elders in every church in every town on the island of Crete. In the passage we looked at last week, in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, we discussed who these leaders are and their characteristics and how they are to function in the church. This week, we are back in Titus chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be finishing up this chapter this morning, and we are going to see from this passage this morning that Paul is going to explain to, to Titus how he and the elders of this church are to serve to protect the church from false teachers, to protect this precious gospel message that we have, and how these leaders in the church, through doing that, help members of the church grow in godliness. So if you're not there yet, get there. Titus 1. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16 this morning. We are studying through this, this epistle, this pastoral epistle written by the Apostle Paul and this series we're calling The Right Kind of Church in a World Gone Wrong. And today we are going to continue to talk about the importance of having the right group of leaders at work in the right way in the church in a world gone wrong and how a, a solid group of godly leaders, how they can serve to protect and build up the church by silencing false teachers and rebuking ungodly influences so that God's church may remain healthy, so that God's people may come to saving faith and grow in godliness and be sound in their faith. Very, very important, folks. There are three things from this passage that Paul calls for Titus and the elders to do to protect and build up the church. The first thing is they're to silence false teachers. Christian leaders silence false teachers so that Christ's church remains healthy. Look at verses 10 through 11 of Titus chapter 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Underline that. They must be silenced. Not they should be silenced. It would be good if they were silenced. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting old families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Why do the churches in Crete need Paul's protege Titus and elders who meet the qualifications in Titus 1, 5 through 9. Why do they need that? To silence false teachers. 
elders and leaders are to make sure that the teachings in the local church are theologically sound, that they are biblical. That's why they must be theologically sound like we talked about last week. Paul has a zero-tolerance policy for false teachers in the church. He has a zero-tolerance policy for teachings that deviate from the truth, and so should we. Here he is calling for Titus and the elders on the island of Crete to be the same way. He is saying, beware of these people and these teachings. What type of people? Look at it. Those who are insubordinate, also translated rebellious men. Those who believe what they believe, even if it conflicts with with Scripture and the church's statement of faith, and they're going to teach and believe what they want to believe and teach it no no matter what. Better translation of the word insubordinate is unaccountable men. They are, they are unaccountable. They, they rebel against the authority of leaders in the church. They rebel against the authority of God's word. They do not believe it. That, that they do not believe that they are accountable to anyone or anything. There is a reason that we as a church have a statement of faith. If you get on our website, you'll find our statement of faith. For those of you who were at uh, Discover Fellowship last week, we had a good crowd there. We, we gave you a booklet, and in that booklet is our statement of faith. And when you become a member of our church, when you sign that, that membership covenant, you have to agree with that statement of faith. And what you're saying when you sign that is you believe what we believe when it comes to the core doctrines of the Christian faith. There's nothing in that statement of faith that is not a core teaching in Scripture. And if you're in a position of leadership and you teach something that opposes our statement of faith or if you're being very vocal in a Bible study about it, and it goes against what we believe in Scripture, that means that your teaching is counter to Scripture, and according to Scripture, you are to be corrected by the leaders in the church. Those who rebel against sound doctrine found in Scripture are to be silenced. You may not like that. There's nothing I can do about that. That's what it says in in God's Word. And To not act in that way as a leader and silence false teaching is to not function in the way that God has called for leaders in his church to function. It's being a disobedient leader. I cannot, as a leader, allow for that to happen. And while at times feelings may be hurt, my being accountable before God as a shepherd of his church and the spiritual state of things in the church with people in the church that's much more important and that's Paul's point notice another characteristic of these false teachers they are empty talkers I heard a pastor say recently that you can always spot those who don't teach the truth by the way they say absolutely nothing beautifully well we see that a lot don't we You'll see this at times with the television evangelists. Those guys are gifted at gab. 
They, they can communicate with the best of them. That's why auditoriums where they speak are filled. But when you look at their message, they're like what Jude describes of false teachers in Jude verse 12. They are clouds without water, fruitless trees at the end of autumn, empty talkers. The way they say things may impress, but what they say is without substance or it's just clearly unbiblical and heretical. Pastors, church leaders, elders are to silence those influences. Not my words, Paul's words, which are ultimately God's words. We're told they are rebellious people, empty talkers. Keep reading. They are deceivers. Get this. They are peddlers of error, spiritual scam artists. You ever watch those old westerns? Where you got those peddlers that come into town with their cart, traveling, selling snake oil. They talk a good game, right? They, they claim to have the cure for everything, but they're nothing but frauds and, and phonies. We have to be on guard against these types of teachers and their teachings. Those in the church in Titus's day in Crete, they were being deceived by these people. They were leading them astray by their empty talk and deception. Paul says, deal with that problem by shutting them up. That's what he says. You may think, man, that seems harsh, Graham. That's exactly what it says. Do you know the literal translation of that word silence means to muzzle? It says muzzle them. Shut them down and shut them up in love. Right? But do it. Pastors and church leaders and elders are to silence that type of teaching. Again, not my words, Paul's words, which are ultimately God's words. Notice what else. Skip down to verse 11. They teach for shameful gain. This is in contrast to verse 7 that says God's leaders, elders in the church, must not be greedy for gain. I watched a discussion recently between two TV evangelists. I shared a little bit last week, and one of them was, was asking God for, for more money to uh, purchase another private jet to add to his collection. And they were having a conversation back, forth, back and forth about how they don't like to go to the airports because they have to intermingle with the people, and people are always coming up to them and approaching them and, and bothering them and asking for prayer requests. I am not kidding you. It was the most ungodly, ridiculous conversation I've ever seen in my life by two so-called men of God. I heard another televangelist say on a late-night fundraiser that the size of seed that you sow, that's spiritual talk for, the amount of cash money you give will be proportionate to what you receive back in return. In other words, you want health and wealth and happiness, you want a big big house and car and nice job, you better be willing to pay some cash for it. And, and guess where that cash is going? Into that guy's pockets. Paul is condemning this approach to ministry. He is speaking critically of those who minister to fill their pockets. What are we to do with people like that, especially when their influence makes its way into the church. Paul tells us, he says, shut it down and shut them up. 
Those who teach for shameful gain are to be silenced by pastors and church leaders so that people, here's the reason why, so that people are not taken away from a message that truly saves and leads people to grow in godliness. That's what's at stake. Notice, Paul gets more specific at the end of verse 10 on who these people are that he's talking about, especially those of the circumcision party, he says. Now, some of you may be confused by that. This is where context helps. What does he mean? Who is this group here? That's a strange name. There were a lot of competing belief systems in the early church like there is today. And one group was known as the circumcision party or the Judaizers. And they claimed to be a Christian group who traveled around and they taught that for one to be saved, for one to grow in godliness, for one to be holy, the man or woman, that man or woman needed to abide by the Jewish dietary restrictions, the men needed to be circumcised, they needed to keep all the festivals, take vows, present themselves to the temple. They needed to do all this outward religious ritual. Basically, it re-embraced the old Jewish practices, like the writer of Hebrews, he's dealing with that influence, and Paul in Galatians is dealing with this. They're saying, meet the letter of the law. Meet these outward religious requirements for salvation and growth and godliness. You need to do these things in order to be saved and made right. And they were, they were putting these extra biblical requirements on individuals for salvation and spiritual growth. And it makes Paul angry, very angry. Nothing makes him more angry, I don't think, in Scripture. He reserves some of his harshest comments toward these people. Why? Because their message was clouding the gospel. This message that we're to cherish, the only message that truly saves. Their, their message, these, these peddlers of error, spiritual scam artists, their message, if it was embraced, it, it was leading people away from a message that truly saves the message of Scripture that says that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Any messenger teaching any message that hinders that message, Paul had nothing for. He, he told the Galatians, Galatians 1, he, he says, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul tells Titus and the elders in Titus 1.11, they must be silenced. Since they are upsetting old families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, anyone who teaches a message that confuses the gospel and confuses how believers grow in godliness should be silenced. And I think it's significant here that Paul is dealing with the circumcision party and he leaves Titus, of all people, to minister in Crete. Because we learn of Titus in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, that he was a Gentile and he was not circumcised. How about that? That's God's man that Paul leaves to minister in this area, an uncircumcised Gentile. I don't believe that's by accident, Clay. I don't. When I look at it, 
I think there's a statement there that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not saved through these outward things that we say and do. We've got to be saved from the inside out, and that is an inward work of the Spirit that needs to be done. Our salvation and our spiritual growth do not come from empty religious ritual. They do not come from Jewish legalism. That's what was being taught. And, and Paul tells Titus and the church leaders in Crete to shut that talk down by shutting them up. Silence those teachers so that whole families are not affected in a negative way and so that God's people are not led astray. What the church needs most in a world gone wrong are leaders who are sound doctrinally and bold for Christ. They hold firm to the trustworthy word and they silence false teachers some will say well Graham what about you know freedom of speech we talk a lot about freedom of speech today right we, we shouldn't we believe in that shouldn't we believe and and teach what we believe freedom of speech should we have that in the church Paul says free speech has no place in the local church only truth should be spoken here and only truth should be spoken from up here so I don't stand here Sunday after Sunday and just spout off my opinions about things. My opinions are flawed because I'm flawed. Who in the world wants to hear the opinions and the soapbox of a 39-year-old? I know I don't. Be honest with you. Promise you. If I were trying to lead you apart from Scripture, we are all going to end up in a ditch quickly. If it were not for this, what we find in here, I'd have no reason to be up here at all. I, I have nothing of spiritual benefit and eternal significance to give you apart from what is in here. Pastors, Church leaders and elders need to be quick. Believers need to be quick to silence flawed earthly opinions, especially when it comes to salvation and one's growth and godliness. Only truth should be spoken on these subjects in Christ's church. Only truth. Where do we find truth? We find it in Scripture. Second point. Second way elders and leaders protect and build up the church is to rebuke God's people so they be sound in the faith. Rebuke God's people so they be sound in the faith. Look at verses 12 through 14. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Tell us what you really think, right? Paul says in verse 13, this testimony is true. Ouch, right? Double whammy. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Boy, Paul is just getting 
forceful with his instruction here to Titus and the elders. Desperate times call for desperate measures. The churches in Crete are struggling because they're being influenced by the wicked Cretans and false teachings of the Judaizers, and it's affecting the health of the church. They are being stunted in their growth because of these wicked influences in their world and these teachings from these peddlers of error, these spiritual scam artists. So Paul, what he does is he calls a spade a spade. He's he's honest with them. He quotes one of their own, a a well-known teacher by the name of Epimenides. He was a well-known Cretan teacher from the 6th century B.C. He quotes him, and he says, one of your own, well-known guy, says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So Paul is using one of their own words against them, and he agrees. He says, this testimony is true. The reason why Paul speaks so critically of their people is because he wants the leaders in the church to realize in order to be an influencer of this wicked culture, you must not be influenced by them. And the way you're not influenced by them is if you recognize the state of their depravity. You acknowledge where they, where they are, where they're not spiritually, and, and you rebuke that part of the culture instead of embrace it. While we are called to meet people where they are, believers, and take them from where they are and, and lead them to Jesus, we are not, let me stress this, we are not to compromise our calling and God's message in the process to reach these people. There are many churches today, they fail at this. They try so hard to not be critical of the world and look like the world in order to reach the world. And what happens is they end up compromising truth and they fail in their mission and they fall morally. Christ's church is called to be a city on a hill shining brightly for God, not a city in the gutter reflecting the desires and the values of a fallen world. What does Paul say should be the leader's response to believers who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world? What does he say to the church about what their attitudes should be when it comes to the outside and unbelieving world? Look at it. Does he say join them enthusiastically? No, he says rebuke them sharply. Not my words, Paul's words, which are ultimately God's words. He is telling the leaders of the church that they should confront and they should correct those in the church who are thinking and who are living like citizens of Crete instead of citizens of the kingdom of God. Why? Why should they rebuke them? Why should they confront them? So that they may be sound in the faith. Said a while back, we ought to love one another enough as believers to be willing to say some hard things to one another in love for the sake of that person's benefit spiritually. 
We should love one another enough to rebuke and correct one another in love for the sake of one's growth in godliness. And believers, we need to be willing to be on the receiving end of that correction if it's needed, receive it willingly and appreciate it when it's given, knowing that it's given for our good, for our growth in godliness, for God's kingdom and for his own glory. Notice at the end of verse 14 that Paul calls for Titus and the elders in the churches at Crete to also rebuke those who are being led astray by Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Again, it it, it seems as if he is speaking of the influences here of this group he calls the circumcision party. And notice they're not simply providing extra biblical requirements for salvation and sanctification, but they're adding to the teaching of Scripture, teaching Jewish myths and giving extra and non-biblical commands to people. And they're turning people's hearts away from the truth. Paul says you need to rebuke those embracing and teaching these myths and heresies. We need to be doing that as well, right? If you're talking about the things of God, a Bible better be what you're opening and discussing. And if something else is being opened and discussed, it better be in accordance with Scripture. If it's not, you need to be pulling out your Bible and, and addressing those heresies. Scripture is our sole authority. Sola Scriptura what we get from the reformers what that means is it's not that we don't have other authorities we do but scripture is the ultimate authority it's God's supreme authority it's the authority by which all other authorities are measured so we are we are to be constantly as God's people going to what does God's word say what does God's word say okay now why do we need to do this Why don't we need to confront people and and have these sort of conversations? Is it so that we can be shown as being right? To make others look foolish? Are you to do it in a prideful way, in an unloving way? No. Again, you're, you're to do it for the benefit of that person you're speaking with so that they're not led astray in their hearts you're to do it so that God's people would be sound in the truth you're to do it for the sake of Christ's church you're to do it for the sake of God's kingdom and you're to do it for God's glory Charles Swindoll said this in his commentary on Titus this is very good look at this up on the screen he says reproof or correction, criticism, is not intended to insult or humiliate, but to redeem. The Christian message always has restoration as its motivation. The discipling work of a healthy church is to restore the fallen and to strengthen the weak. It's important for pastors and church leaders, elders and believers Keep in mind, this is to be our motivation. We are to to rebuke and correct, not to be right, not because of pride, but out of a love for God, out of a love for his people, out out of a love for Christ's church. We are to correct people in love that they may be sound in the faith for the sake of God's people, for the sake of his kingdom, and for his glory. Third and final point here, the third way elders and leaders protect and build up the church. 
Christian leaders address the heart so that one's actions are honoring to God. In writing to Titus and the, the leaders in the churches on the island of Crete, Paul takes time to explain to them how God is at work, how that process works in God growing his people in godliness. And it makes sense that he would have this kind of conversation with them because think about it again. Remember the context. He is combating a teaching that says through the outward acts that people do, through empty religious ritual, through Jewish legalism, one is saved and grow in godliness. Paul shows here that it is not the outward works of people that saves and that matures one spiritually. It is the inward work of the Spirit. He begins in verse 15 saying, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Now let me explain this verse of Scripture because unfortunately it's been terribly misused and misinterpreted and misapplied. But let's first start by talking about what it means before we talk about what it doesn't mean. Titus and the leaders at Crete are dealing with false teachers, think about it, who are saying, if you really want to be a, a good, godly person, if you want to please God, you need to believe popular Jewish myths, you need to follow these commands, you need to abide by rituals, be circumcised, believe these things, do these things, don't believe these things, abstain from these things. If you do that, you will be a Christian on the road to holiness. Paul says that's not how sanctification works. It doesn't work by just... It, it, it certainly doesn't work by ignoring the Bible and giving authority to and, and obeying other writings. It doesn't work by adding commands to the Bible. And it certainly doesn't work by simply doing these outward things. Notice he says, to the pure, all things are pure. What he's saying here is, you're not made pure by the things you do outwardly. You're made pure inwardly. You're first pure, and then those things that you do are pure. You with me? And we're made pure in our hearts through the work of the Spirit. When the Spirit changes our hearts, our desires change, our want-tos change, our motivations change, and what a pure-hearted person does, what flows from that is good and right and God-honoring. It's, it's pure. Now, Paul's not saying you can do whatever you want. Some people, they, they abuse this verse of Scripture and they say, you know, I've been made pure, I've been forgiven, so I can live however I want to live, and according to Scripture, whatever I do is pure. It's not what he's saying. That's ignoring the context here. Think about the context again. I'll remind you one more time. Paul is speaking against the, the Judaizers who are arguing for extra-biblical things that need to be done for salvation and spiritual growth. Paul is saying what matters is the inward condition of the heart, not the outward acts of our hands and feet and what we say and do. What matters first is, is who we are inwardly. The, the state of things in the heart is what determines whether or not those outward acts are, are honoring to God. If your heart has not been changed, it doesn't matter what you say and what you do. Is that not what he says? Look at it. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Underline nothing is pure. 
Both their minds and their consciences are defiled and that messes up everything that comes out of that individual. In other words, if your heart's not right, if your mind and conscience is defiled, it doesn't matter what you say or do, it will be defiled. That's it. Ligon Duncan, when commenting on this passage of Scripture, says this. Look at this quote on the screen. We are not sanctified from the outside in by keeping man-made commandments. We are sanctified from the inside out by the Holy Spirit working in accordance with the Word of God. That's how it works. That's how it works. So one's heart must be right. But then get this. One's actions must be right as well. That flows from that right heart. Someone who is right with God inwardly should also live rightly for Him outwardly. Now, we're not grace graduates. We mess up, but we're messed up by messing up, right? And we repent of that, and we, 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 we continue to follow hard after God and, and pursue godliness. But this is how you know where, where someone stands spiritually. How do we know the inward condition of a person? Paul tells us through the outward acts of their hands and feet and what they say and do. Look at verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul gives Titus and the leaders of the church here some great insight on how to discern what's taking place in the heart. He says, look at their actions. Actions reveal our hearts. You want to know what's going on in the life of a person? Look at their life. Look at their actions. Look at what they love. Look at how they spend their time. Look at what they care about. Look at their priorities. You'll have your answer. This is so helpful for the church to understand so that we can be healthy. We, we need to know that sanctification occurs from the inside out by the work of the Spirit. And get this, we need to look to God and call for others to look to Him and rely upon Him to do this work. We need, just like we needed God to, to, to change our heart and life through the work of the Spirit so that we could be saved, we need Him to work in us so that we can work out what He's working in us, so that we can grow in godliness. We need Him to work in our heart and life. And if you're struggling in sin, believers, you need to, just like you place your faith alone in Christ alone for salvation, you need to trust Him in faith. You need to go to Him in faith and pray to Him in faith and pray that He would do this work in your heart and life, that He would work in your heart, and that what would come out of that would be God-honoring words and actions. Maybe you're here this morning and up to this point in your life, if you're being honest, you can say, basically how I've tried to live my life is be the best me I can be on my own. My own efforts, I've tried the best I can. I'm here to tell you this morning from God's word, that means nothing if your heart's not been changed. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say or do. If your heart does not belong to him, if Christ is not your Lord, it matters not your accomplishments. Your heart must be changed. It must be changed. 
Paul says here, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Your best deeds are wicked if you've not been changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you claim to know God. You claim that you believe in His Son, but your deeds and your desires show otherwise. You need to really examine your heart and life to make sure you're in the faith. Maybe you claim to know facts about God and believe facts to be true about Jesus and you think that all that takes to be saved. Well, I believe that, that sometime in history there was a man who came and lived and died. I believe that. You believe facts to be true about Jesus. Listen, that's not salvation. According to Scripture, Christ must be Lord of your life. Are you personally trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, it's not a better time than right now to step off the tiny throne of the kingdom of self and bow the knee to King Jesus. Pray you would make him Lord today. Let's pray.